Well, today we're uh, continuing in our series called Snapshots from the Life of Jesus. And if you've missed out on any of the snapshots, then I'd encourage you to have a listen to our podcast and you can access that via the website. And also, I'm assuming we're recording now. It's all up and recording. Fantastic. Well, welcome to our podcast listeners as well. Good to have you join us. Um, it's actually interesting getting some comments from some of the, the listeners that uh, have come in and, and had a comment about something that I've said, and that's fantastic. It's good to know that, uh, that uh, we've got a, a, a bigger audience than what we have just here today. If you'd like to follow, then I invite you to please turn to Mark chapter 5, verses 21 and following. So if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 5, 21 and following. You can switch them on if you're that app savvy and that sort of stuff, or go old school and turn to that page. That's fantastic. If you haven't brought a Bible, that's okay. If you don't have access to a Bible and you would like a Bible, have a chat to me. We would love to give you one, okay? We'd love to be able to access one for you. All right. Now, while we don't know exactly how long Jesus had been openly ministering, what we do know is that he had already made enemies in the synagogue. In fact, some of the religious leaders were getting together, planning on how they could actually plan and and conspire to kill Jesus. On another occasion, they actually accused Jesus of being possessed by Satan himself. A little while later, we pick up the story when Jesus returns to a spot where he'd previously been openly ministering. We think it most likely was Capernaum. As soon as he arrives to the shore, a crowd is there to greet him. One of those that was there to greet him was the leader of the local synagogue. Jairus was responsible for supervising the building, making sure the data projectors worked and all those different things, Um, organising the Sabbath services, um, who was to do the Bible readings, the prayers, the speaking, all that sort of stuff. Everyone in town knew Jairus as being someone who was important. After all, The Jewish religion wasn't just something that took place on the sidelines. It wasn't something that was was relegated to a Saturday. It was something that was integral to every fabric, every part of society. To be cast out, to be kicked out of the synagogue was to be shunned by society. It was the hub of day-to-day living. And so everyone knew who Jairus was. On Jesus' arrival, Jairus comes to Jesus and falls at his feet, begging him to heal his only daughter, his 12-year-old little girl. Jairus' daughter was about to reach a milestone, becoming old enough to be committed in marriage. For Jairus and his wife, they feared that their little girl would never become a woman Because at that moment, she was back home, literally, on her deathbed. On hearing Jairus' desperate appeal, Jesus goes with Jairus towards his house, with the crowd jostling around each other, pressing in and around Jesus like sardines in a can, like a, a peak hour tram heading into the city. But in the crowd was a Zabar, a woman, 
possibly in her mid-twenties or older, who had been suffering from constant bleeding for the last 12 years. Now, while we can't be certain, it's likely that this woman had been suffering from having a period for the last 4,300 days straight. For Now, get, get this into your head. For as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive, this woman had been suffering from this terrible condition. Life for this Zabar was pathetic. If she was married, if she was married, then her husband would not have touched her for the, the, or anything that she had touched for the last 12 years. If she had kids, then she would have seen them grow up at a distance. If anyone came into physical contact with her, they became immediately ritually unclean. They had to wash their clothes and themselves and they remained contaminated until evening. Until then, they also couldn't be touched. They couldn't interact in daily life. And most importantly, they couldn't be a part of the synagogue and the temple worship. So for 12 years, this woman lived without human touch, was never allowed to attend church, was shunned even despised by mainstream society. Like a HIV sufferer when AIDS was the the cringe of society in the 80s or like a leper in days gone by. Left to fend for herself, probably left to beg for her very existence. She spent all her money on doctors or anyone who was peddling a miraculous cure. One remedy consisted of drinking a a goblet of wine containing rubber, alum and garden crocusis powder. Another treatment consisted of a dose of Persian onions cooked in wine, administered with the summons, Arise out of your flow of blood! Other physicians prescribed sudden shock or the carrying of the ash of a certain ostrich egg in a particular type of cloth. After all this time, rather than getting better, she had only gotten worse. After hearing about Jesus and the last time that he was in town, she, sh- she thought she would take a risk. Take a risk of being despised, even shunned by the crowd. Abused by onlookers even possibly by Jesus himself, just, just to touch the corner fringe of his cloak and in doing so with the hope of being healed. So with the crowd distracted by the possibility of another miracle, this Zabar makes her move by stealth, coming from behind. She weaves between the people, brushing past this one and that, making them ritually unclean as she touches them. And then with a stretch of her hand, she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She knows from the sensation deep within inside her body that she has been healed. But straight away, Jesus also knows that he has received No ordinary touch. He turns around to the crowd, calling out, Who touched my clothes? The disciples 
look bewildered at Jesus. All the crowds pressing in around you. What do you mean who touched your clothes, Peter said? Who hasn't? Jesus was undeterred. The crowd started looking around at each other to see who the culprit was. The Zabar, realising that she was not going to escape unnoticed, comes shaking, quaking with fear to Jesus and falls at his feet and tells him all. Daughter. With that one word of Jesus comes a flood of emotion, recognition, restoration, relationship. In fact, it is the only time we ever hear from Jesus' lips, him ever being recorded as calling anyone daughter. The shunned now shares a loving bond with her healer. Your faith in me has made you well. There's no reason to fear anymore. The peace that has eluded you for the last 12 years is yours again. Then Jesus publicly declares what the woman who was once Azabar and Jesus knew to be true. You have been healed. You have been restored physically. And with Jesus' declaration, she is also restored socially back into the fabric of society because they have heard that she is now healed. She is okay. Jairus's mind is snapped back with the tap on his shoulder. It's a messenger from home. A look into the messenger's eyes is confirmed by the words, your daughter's dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But before the if-onlys have a chance to play through Jairus' mind, Jesus looks deep into Jairus' heart. Don't be afraid. Just trust me. Jesus turns to the crowd and calls them to stay here. Whether they'd already gotten their miracle fix for the day or out of respect for a grieving dad, they stay behind. Only Peter, James and John go with Jesus, Jairus and the messenger to Jairus' home. I tell you what, it didn't take long for the, the professional mourners to get into full swing. Flute players, people clapping their hands, weeping and wailing. Even the poorest person was expected to hire two flute players and one wailing woman to mourn someone's death. For this synagogue ruler's daughter, there would have been a menagerie of mourners. Why all the weeping and commotion, Jesus asked the mourners. The child isn't dead, only asleep. Talk about crocodile tears. One minute they're deeply grieving and the next minute they're laughing at Jesus, ridiculing and scoffing his ludicrous statement. It took a bit of doing, but finally Jesus got the crowd out of the house. With mum and dad alongside the three disciples, they enter with Jesus into the room where Jairus' daughter lay. Jesus moves over to her bed, holding her unresponsive hand. He says to her with quiet determination, get up, little girl. Immediately she stood up, walking around being embraced by her parents. Mum and dad were understandably gobsmacked. 
Jesus, going the extra step, calls for them to give her something to eat. Food to replenish her body, but also to reassure her parents that she is truly alive. You know, when I was in my mid-teens, my parents and I moved to Sydney. A new state, a new home, and I went to a new school. I'd left some good friends in Queensland and I had to start that process all over again. More than anything, I wanted to be accepted. In a crowded school with over a thousand students, it's amazing how alone you can feel. Rather than being myself, I became what I thought others wanted me to be. In their world, hungering, hoping that I would be more readily accepted. And you know, today I see people doing the same thing. They choose clothing or cars or music or how they speak based on what will help them to be accepted by others. People starve themselves of food or throw up what they've eaten just because they want to feel accepted. And for some, they would rather die than to live without acceptance. The account of Jesus healing the woman of her hemorrhage and then raising of Jairus' daughter from the dead is more than just a story of healing. This woman lived without acceptance because of her constant state of contamination. The Zabar was deemed of little worth by society. Jairus' daughter, on the other hand, was the daughter of a somebody. Maybe you remember a somebody like that when you were at school or at work. You know, the one that you always wanted to be invited to their party because if you got invited to their party, then you were a somebody too or that after work function or whatever it might be, that meal, that special occasion, that birth, whatever. That was Jairus' daughter. Everyone was clambering to be her friend. Compare that to the Zabar. But Jesus saw these two daughters differently. He accepted them both. He treated them both with the same dignity and respect, tenderness and love. Knowing you are loved makes all the difference in the world. In the early hours of one morning, I was frantically studying for a church history exam at Bible College. And I'm not good with names, and I'm not much better with dates. And if there's one thing I learned about church history, it's all about dates and names. And so I went down to, Mary and I lived on campus at the time, and I went down to the lecture room where we had, believe it or not, in the good old days, blackboards. Um, And I would write up the dates and then I would try and remember the names and the, the, the key people of those dates. And then I'd rub out the dates and the names. And then I'd write up the names and I'd try and remember the dates that went along with it. And the harder I tried to remember it all, the more easily it just slipped through my fingers. And I did this until the wee hours of the morning. And I was exhausted. Mentally and emotionally just wrung out. And I switched off the the lecture room light, dragged myself back up to the unit on campus 
and crawled into bed where Mary was already asleep. And I remember crying into my pillow that night. With mental and emotional exhaustion, I was just looking at my plight and the pending failure of my exam. And then I remembered, you know what? Regardless of whether I pass this exam or not, in a few hours' time, I am loved by God and I am loved by Mary. I am accepted by the two of them. And I went to sleep knowing the peace of true acceptance. A few years ago, I was in Indonesia and I met Nofi, a religious uh, refugee who fled his home in the Malukas Islands due to attacks from radical Muslims. Over several years, thousands of lives were lost due to the conflict. Christian pastors, pastors were killed and their homes were burned. Fleeing the conflict, Nofi and many others arrived at Batang in North Sulawesi, where they'd lived for the last 10 years in a refugee camp. And imagine what it must have been like for them to discover just across the dirt road, bordering the refugee camp, lived families of Muslims. Imagine that you flee for your lives to come all the way to a makeshift refugee camp, only to have Muslims living on your doorstep, people that had previously in another country been threatening your lives because of their faith. Rather than seeking revenge or living in fear, Nofi and the other refugees extended a hand of love, forgiveness and acceptance to the people of the Muslim faith, sharing water from the same well and God's love to those who could so easily have been considered enemies. Today, whether we struggle internally longing for acceptance or find others around us difficult to love and accept. Jesus challenges me on what response I should make. Now, quick note, just a caveat on this, that accepting others, accepting others does not mean that we put up with and do not challenge their bad behaviour, but accepting others is about extending love to them. Jesus knew and experienced the deep, loving relationship with his Father. And in the security of that relationship, he was able to extend the opportunity for us to be a part of that relationship today. And if you do not know what it means to be accepted by God, then can I encourage you, before you leave this place, talk to someone. Talk to me. I would love to share with you what it means to be in a relationship with a God who loves you deeply. And beyond that, Jesus calls us to love and accept others just as he did. Whether it be a couple down the street, a family we know that are struggling, someone that's dealing with um, addictive behaviours, our love and acceptance of them as we accept them as image bearers of our creator God too will be a powerful witness of God's love 
for them. Let me take a moment to pray. Jesus, it's a powerful story. It's a powerful snapshot from your life. And so often we can get caught up in the miracle and it's a miracle nonetheless of what you did for this once as a bar, a woman suffering terribly from a hemorrhage and for Jairus' daughter. But so much more than this wonderful miracle, it's a fantastic, powerful story of your acceptance. It's not about status. It's not about how much money we carry in our pockets. It's not about what sort of roof we have over our heads or the cars we drive or whatever it might be. It's not even about the state of our relationship with others. It's all about the state of our relationship with you. And that's the starting point. Lord, for those here today that don't know what it means to be truly loved and accepted by you, may they know that today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would move and prompt in their lives today. And for we who can so easily be quick to judge others, Lord, would you help us to accept them to challenge where appropriate, but to accept and extend love to them. Because as we look at them, we are looking at someone that is created in your image. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how good's your imagination? I want you to imagine just for a moment that the screen is on behind me. And on the screen behind me are two questions. The first one is, What stood out for you today as you heard this snapshot from the life of Jesus? What stood out for you today? Perhaps you might want to respond to that. Or what challenge or encouragement does the snapshot from the life of Jesus today bring you? I'd encourage you, there's going to be some music played softly in the background. As that music's played, grab those response cards. Take some time to respond to what God's saying to you today. And my wonderful wife, Mary, um, who willingly volunteered, maybe not, um, will come around and collect those response cards as we sing our final song. God bless you.